Let's open our Bibles together to Hebrews 11, reading from that Hall of Faith chapter, verses 32 through 40. Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. And what more shall I Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were, were made strong by the power of fire. I'm sorry, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Please be seated. Thank you, Nat, for our reading today, and thank you for being with us. We're always very happy to have everyone with us this morning and encourage you to be back with us tonight at 6 o'clock. And all of our visitors, we're very happy to have you. Thankful for your presence today. We have visiting with us some of our children and grandchildren from Memphis, Tennessee today, and we're very happy that they're with us. And uh, Grandma and Grandpa are hosting some of our grandchildren, so pray for me. At any rate... <clears throat> We're very happy to have them. We love them so dearly, and I know you know what I mean. That's a great Bible passage Nat read for us today, Hebrews chapter 11. It came from verse 32 through 40. And I've heard it described in many different ways. Some describe it as the hall of the fame of the Bible or the hall of the faithful. Or I like to call it heroes of faith and uh, this is a good way to describe it, along with other ways to describe this particular matter. It, these are great heroes, heroes of faith that we have read about, and that read so well for us from Hebrews 11. And if we spent time talking about these great heroes, we wouldn't be able to uh, tell of all the great deeds that they accomplished. A hero is a person who, against odds, stands up and is successful in behalf of somebody else. I mean, if you look at Hebrews of the Bible, heroes of the Bible, or just heroes in general, that's one thing that you see them doing over and over again. They, they're standing up. They never compromise their principles. They stand with their principles, and they stand up against great odds. The odds are great against them. But they're for the odds, and they're doing this for the benefit of others. They're great heroes. I've always been a little concerned about the heroes that our young people uh, pose for themselves today. 
a little concerned about some that are posed or set up as heroes for our young people. As a young person, one of my heroes had to be Alvin York. Alvin York, First World War, came from Jamestown, Tennessee, just out of Jamestown, Tennessee. He's a great American. Alvin York had the privilege of preaching in Jamestown, Tennessee, where York was from, visited his gravesite, and visited with some of the York family. And um, uh, got a chance to visit with York Institute. The citizens of Tennessee put together a contribution, and they gave it to Mr. and Mrs. York when he came back from the First World War. And uh, he put up a mill there and a family, a home there, and, and a store uh, was erected there. And, and he took the rest of the land, some 400 acres, and gave it back to the state of Tennessee, and now they have their York Institute, which is a public high school there, on that 400 acres. Beautiful piece of ground. Alvin York was a great hero, great hero, a very humble-minded man, a very religious man. I'll tell you another great hero of mine that I really like, if I may spend just a brief moment talking about that, and that's George Washington. Washington was a brave man. Washington was a Virginia planter. Uh, he had fought with the British, and he'd fought against the British in, in his career. It was John Adams who wanted to give the title, his, uh, his Excellency, to the president, but George Washington said, no, he'll be called Mr. President. And they wanted to get away from the idea of a king and a queen, and this was the president. It's not His Excellency or His Highness. It's the president. He really set the stage for presidents for the rest of our history. George Washington. He had several horses shot out from underneath him. He was not wounded himself. He was a very brave man and a very conscientious, God-fearing type of individual. I have a lot of great um, heroes in my mind. And I guess some of my great heroes that mean so much to me, I'm very privileged in that the heroes that I looked up to when I was a child became my good friends later in life. They were preachers of the gospel, and they had accomplished a great deal. And I admired them greatly, and I loved them greatly for the work that they, that they did, and still study from them even today, though they're passed on. I, I think the great heroes in my life have been preachers. And I hope that you'll consider carefully the heroes of your life. I hope that you'll look very carefully at what kind of people they are and and what they actually mean. The Bible talks about some great heroes. One of the great heroes would have to be the man Abraham. And he mentions him in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 as one of the great heroes of the faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. It's amazing about Abraham. God called him and he left. He was living deep within the confines of the uh, Tigris-Euphrates River Valley. The ancient city of Ur has been discovered by archaeologists, and Abraham came from Ur. And he went up what was called the Fertile Crescent. He was heading northwest, and God had told him, leave your family and leave your land and go to a place where I will show you. And Abraham obeyed. I suppose that all of us would have to admire, and I don't know how, other than he was a man of great faith, when his faith was tested, when God had asked him, told him, offer your son Isaac as an offering. And you'll remember in Genesis chapter 22, 
how that Abraham was willing to slay even his own son when God called upon him to do so. You know, I'm a father, you're fathers and mothers, and you know, we all know how much we love our children, how much we love our grandchildren, how important they are to us. Would you have that kind of faith when God said, I want you to do this, I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice to me? It's a challenging thing in my heart if I had that kind of trust and faith in God. Abraham did, though. There's a remarkable statement about Abraham. It comes up in about verse 17 of our our passage this morning. By faith Abraham, still in Hebrews 11, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Verse 19, uh, Abraham had never rece- seen a resurrection. I don't know that a resurrection from the dead had ever been heard of. But Abraham had such faith in God, he knew, well, if God said that this son is the covenant son, and that the are going to come from this son, it must be that God's going to raise him from the dead. And so he's willing to offer his son. But in Genesis 22 and 18, the angel of the Lord stopped him. He's raised his knife back to slay Isaac. And he said, because thou hast obeyed my voice, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we have. You see, one day down into the future from Abraham's time, God was going to offer his son. And his son would die on the cross for the sins which we have committed. And because of his sacrifice, we have justification. We who have been obedient to the gospel have reconciliation. We who are in Christ have hope of eternal life because God offered his son. Even though Abraham was willing to offer his, Isaac. That's a hero of faith. You see, a a hero does not compromise his principles. Abraham could have said, well, Lord, I just can't figure this out. It's hard for me to understand the command that you've given me. Let me see if I can think about this for a while and talk it over with my wife and just see what comes up. No, no, no. Romans chapter 4, he wavered not at the command of God and obeyed God. That's a hero. That's a hero of faith. We need more Abrahams. People who truly love God, trust God confidence in God, obedient to God. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had, and he's described as the father of the faithful. It's mentioned in a number of New Testament books. His name comes up in Romans. Paul builds quite a case about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5. He's spoken of in the book of Galatians. He's spoken of in the book of Hebrews. He's spoken of in the book of James. He comes up over and over again in the pages of the New Testament. He's a hero. He's a hero because he stood up for what was right. He stood up for his principles and he trusted in God. And he wouldn't compromise. That's the kind of hero to have. Hero like Abraham. One of my favorite Hebrews have to be David. And I think I could spend a lot of time talking about David, even if you've never read the Bible. Even if you've never... gone to Sunday school, 
and you really don't know anything about the Bible, you've already heard about David and Goliath. I mean, even if you don't go to worship service and Bible school, you've already heard about the story of David and Goliath, how the takes five smooth stones from the brook, and there he goes out and he faces the giant. Nine foot, nine inches thereabouts. He was a giant. He's very much like one of um, the Homeric warriors out of uh, Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, the way he's dressed and the way he has prepared himself for battle. This is a man that had been a warrior from his youth up. In uh, 1 Samuel seven forty-five, I picked out this particular um, uh, passage because it surely describes what a hero would say. And what a hero would do. You see now, Saul, where's he? He's king of Israel. He ought to be the champion of the people of God. But when Goliath would come out in the valley of Elah every day, reviling God, reviling the people of God, challenging the people of God, saying to them, you know, bring your champion out. If I defeat him, you'll be our slaves. If he defeats me, we'll be your slaves. Bring him out this day and let's settle this matter right here in the valley of Elah, and they wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it, and day after day, Goliath comes out, and he challenges them and reviles and mocks and rebukes not only the people, but God himself. And David, a young boy, filled with sincerity and faith, said, what is this man out here doing this? And they said, well, this is their champion. They said, if you, whoever defeats the champion, be great in the land of Israel. Why, marry the king's daughter. Receive great riches. The king should have been leading them out, but because of his lack of faith, a young boy goes out with a sling. For all practical purposes, one would think, that's not a very good way to go out and do battle with a, a terrible giant like that who really is an expert in the elements of war. In 1 Samuel 17 and 45, David says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. We all know the story of how David took that stone and there killed the giant, ran up to the giant, cut his head off with his own sword. That's a hero who remains faithful to God. David knew it wasn't him doing it by his own power and his own might. He couldn't do it. But he knew with God's help he could stand against that challenge which he faced and which the people of God faced. Do we face any challenges today? Yes, we do. Are there any Goliaths out there? How shall we meet the challenge? How shall we face them? We will face them with faith. We will face them with courage. Armed with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, will refute every false way. That's what heroes, heroes do. They stand with faith and conviction in God, in God's Word. I'd like to talk about Beniah. Perhaps you've never heard of the name Beniah. Rather than me just tell the story, I'd like to read the story in First Chronicles chapter 11. It comes to us, verse 22. What a great man Beniah was. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Cabazel, a doer of great deeds, he says, verse 22. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen, verse 23. 
He struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Verse 24. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the mighty, the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Benaiah was a mighty man, a hero of faith. He did amazing things. He was not afraid. He killed a lion. He killed the enemy. He killed the enemy of God's people. He's one of the chosen 30, the top warriors of David's army. He wasn't in the top three, but he's at the very top, the top 30. And he was a mighty man, a man of great fame because of his faithfulness. Became part of David's bodyguard, Benaiah. I'd like to tell you the story about another hero of the Bible called Eliezer. This particular man comes to us in 2 Samuel. And Eliezer, 2 Samuel chapter 23, clasped the sword with such strength that he couldn't let it go. 2 Samuel 23 and 9, And next to him among the three mighty men was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines, who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought a great victory that day. The men returned after him only to strip the slain. Everybody had fallen back, but here Eliezer went forward, and he took the sword and he destroyed the enemy. And once the enemy had been slain, then Israel came in to strip the dead of the spoils. Sometimes that's the way it is with a hero. They have to fight when everybody else withdraws. They stand at the front of the battle. Heroes do that. They stand for God against the enemy of the people of God. One of the great heroes of the Bible would have to be Esther. And I don't suppose that we really give Esther the credit that she is due because Esther is chosen to be queen. Now, the Persian king, whenever receiving someone, only received them by means of invitation. Persian kings, you just didn't walk in and make an appointment with the king. Only when the king would receive that particular person then would they be heard. And if the king would not receive them, they would be put to death. And this is what happens with Esther, Esther chapter 4. Esther is told by her uncle Mordecai, you know, perhaps God has raised you up for such a time as this. Go into the king and make supplication for your people. Talk to the king. Well, for her to do that, just walk in, may mean her death. But what does she do? Armed with faith in God, she goes into the king. But in Esther chapter 4, verses 11 through 17, the king is kindly toward Esther. And he lowers the scepter toward her, inviting her to come in. It took great courage on Esther's part to confront the king about a problem. 
The problem was about the Jewish people. And in doing that, she was able to intercede for them and thus bring about God's divine will for his people. You know, that's the way it is with Hebrews and heroes. You never know. Perhaps they're brought up for just a time as this, that God has brought them to stand in the gap, to intercede for the people of God, and in turn do the will of God. I'd like to turn and talk a little bit about another favorite character of mine. The man's name's Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 6, you have a man of great courage. Daniel is an individual who would rather go ahead and face the lion's den rather than not pray for one day. He loved prayer. You see, as Daniel grew in responsibility and recognition, others became jealous of Daniel. And so as they did, they encouraged the king to make a very foolish document. Make a decree throughout the land that no one should intercede for any deity except you, O king. And this foolish, self-centered king went along with it. You know, if anybody had any good reason about them, they ought to know that that was, you know, a very foolish law with which to make. And the king went along with the document. When he'd signed it, it couldn't be broken. It could not be revoked. And so in that instance, they realized that they had just now put Daniel at odds with the decree of the king. Nobody prays to anything but the king. But you can't legislate a law to keep people from praying. Daniel was a man. He was not a fool. He was not a novice in what was going on. He went to his room, opened up his shades. There he turned his face toward Jerusalem and he prayed because he'd rather pray to God and face a lion's den than not pray to God at all. That's where heroes are. Heroes are. They are people of prayer, even in the face of great opposition. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, but you know that wonderful story how that God closed the mouths of those great beasts and he preserved Daniel. Daniel didn't know how or if God was going to work it out, but he still went and prayed to God. What a great man Daniel was. Do we have praying heroes today who love to pray? Sometimes our prayers don't get any higher than the ceiling because they come from the roof of our mouth rather than the depths of our heart. Do we really believe in the fine art of prayer? Jesus said all men ought always to pray. Paul said pray without ceasing. What a wonderful privilege you and I have with regard to prayer. Living in a land where there's... You will not pray, you cannot pray. But yet Daniel would pray and we should pray every single day. I'm very thankful for the fine prayers that are offered in our worship service. These men come before us and very sincerely... Offer prayers, and I listen to the wording of each prayer very carefully. And I'm very thankful for the prayers these faithful men offer on our behalf. Thank you. But we ought to be offering prayer to God on our own behalf and for those who are in need because we're a praying people and we believe in prayer. Heroes pray because they know that they depend upon God, and without God, they simply would not be successful. Daniel was a man of prayer. The Bible tells us that Daniel had three Hebrew friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three Hebrew friends out of Daniel chapter 3 were told as the assembly is brought together 
and the band begins to play, everybody will bow down before the great statue, the gold statue which Nebuchadnezzar has erected for everyone to worship. Ninety feet high, everybody bow down and worship the statue when the band plays. But three Hebrew children said, we will not bow down. We will not bow down. Nebuchadnezzar decided it must be some lack of communication here. So he brings them in. He said, look, let me tell you how this goes. When the band plays in the plains of Dura, you will bow down before the great image I have erected. Or I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we understand the decree of the king, but we will not bow down. We don't bow down before pagan idols. There's only one true God of heaven and earth who created the world in which we live, and we will serve him. That's a hero. They didn't know if God would spare them or not. They didn't know if God would intervene or not. God intervened in their behalf as a wonderful story that it is. But they didn't know that. It didn't matter with them. They wouldn't compromise. I was in a fellow's office one time. Secretary came in. I was visiting with him. We had some matters that we were discussing. Secretary came in and said, so-and-so's on the phone for you. And he told her, tell him I'm not in. Tell him I'm not in. Oh, it's clear he was in. I was talking to him in his office. But he had his secretary. Now, what was the secretary supposed to do? He was wrong to tell the secretary to lie for him. Now, what was that secretary supposed to do? Now, is she going to bow down before the statue and do what he tells her to do and lie for him? What's the secretary supposed to do in a case like that? What would you do? You tell the truth. You tell the truth. I just wonder, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, probably kind of like us, when that band would play, I might find the need to bend down and tie my shoes. Maybe, uh, you know, if I'm showing everybody I'm tying my shoes, maybe they'll get the idea that I'm, it'll be okay and, you know, I won't get... That's a compromise. Heroes don't compromise their principles. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to do it. The king said, stoke up that furnace. Stoke it up harder than it's ever been. And they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. And evidently he had a window type of affair where he could look into it or an elevated position where he could look down into it because when he did, he saw that there were not three, but there were four, a fourth likened to the Son of Man. And he had them brought out of the furnace and their hair was not singed, their Clothes did not smell of smoke. God had prepared them. God had for, uh, provided for them. He had saved them from the flames of the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are heroes. Heroes of faith because they would not compromise. Brethren, we live in a day of compromise. Heroes don't compromise. Heroes have faith and confidence in the word of God and trust in God. They do not compromise. They tell the truth. They do the truth. Because that's what heroes of faith do. 
I'll tell you a great hero of faith, and that's this man right here, the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a wonderful statement by him. He's a great man of faith, and the more I study about his life, the more I'm so impressed with his focus and his determination and his commitment. Nothing gets him off track. He is so focused on doing the will of Christ and preaching the gospel of Christ, even in the face of great opposition. And he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and the verse that I have in mind is about verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, Paul said, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus Christ, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. What a statement. Even though you and I don't have the opportunity to discuss the detail of that wonderful paragraph, one of the things that he's telling them is, I have suffered greatly for the cause of Christ for you. It may mean death for me, but it's going to mean a life for you. New life in Christ Jesus. A child of God. Because of the work of the Apostle Paul, we're all indebted by this great man of faith. An inspired Apostle of Christ who reveals so much to us. But I want to tell you about the real hero here. And I have just a brief moment. The real hero in all of this is Jesus Christ. There's no hero like Jesus. And somebody may say, well, you know, he lived a long time ago. We all talk about Jesus. I have a hard time relating uh, to Jesus. You should never say that. You should grow in your understanding of the Word of God and come to realize something of the great sacrifice of Christ. And I included uh, John chapter 10, 17 and 18 right there. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And you notice the voluntary, the willingness, willful decision to go ahead and sacrifice himself for others. But I lay it down of my own accord. It's freely, voluntarily done. I have authority, authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. He's doing that for us. He's laying his life down for us. He knew what the scourgings would be like. And he knew what crucifixion was all about. But yet he went ahead and did it. That's a hero. He's a hero of our faith. That there's none like Christ. He loved us. And that's the point of John 15. 9 through 13. He loved us. Jesus is in the garden there. And there was great sacrifice going on in that regard. With regard to his mind and with his heart. And he's saying, you know, not as, God, not as I will, but let God's will be done. I love you, and I want you to love one another. And it raises the question, can we command or can an emotion like that be commanded? And he's certainly doing that. He's saying that you have high regard, such high regard for the other, that you're thinking more of the other than you are thinking about yourself. That is the mind of Christ, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. He's thinking more of other people. That's a hero that does that. He lays down his life freely and voluntarily for them. Luke 22 is another passage 
that he's emphasizing this particular matter. And, and as I intimated just a moment ago, he's laying down his life for those, and he freely does so because of great love for God and love for one another. I happen to think of Hebrews chapter 5 along this line, and I turn to that passage, Hebrews 5 and verse 7. In the days of his flesh, the Bible writer says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. You know, he's making reverence to, reference to that point in Luke chapter 22. He prays, and he's filled with tears. And God, with great reverence, because of his reverence, God listens to him and hears him. But he also is saying to God, not my will, but thine be done. First Peter chapter 2 is another great passage along this line that tells me what a great one Jesus was. Not just a man, but so much more than that, the Son of God. 100% man, 100% God, here in the flesh, offering himself for me and for you. What a sacrifice. There's none as great as this one. And I'm thinking of 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm, I'm thinking about verse 21. For to this you have been called. I don't know if I included that. Hebrews 5, 7. Here we go. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, verse 23. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He devoted himself to God. He himself bore our tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, verse 25. I've read for you 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. And it talks about what Christ did for us, the sacrifice that he made. Even though he was innocent, he was counted as being guilty. And paid the price for the guilty. Dying on that cross. That we as straying sheeps. Might return to God. The overseer of our soul. That's a hero. I hope that you'll look carefully. At what the Bible says about real heroes. I hope before you pick out a hero. For your life. That you'll really examine. Great heroes of the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 11. List some of them for us. I'll tell you who's a great hero. None greater than Christ. But here's this person who nobody knows. And they're a person, they've not been on anybody's lectureship. They've not been in any gospel meetings. Perhaps not even teaching Bible classes, but yet when somebody's in need, they're there. They don't do it for the pats on the back because nobody even knows that they're doing it. There are a lot of heroes out there that are devoting themselves to God and devoting themselves to others that nobody knows anything about save God himself. And to God 
They're heroes. I want to be a hero of faith. I want to be a person who repents of my sin, changes my life for what's right, confesses my faith in Christ, is baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins, placed in the body of Jesus Christ, and then live the kind of life that Jesus teaches me to live. Not for the acclaim that I get out of it or the pats on the back or the recognition because that's the best way to live and that's the way my Savior wants me to live. That's how He taught me to live. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person you want to be. And I encourage you to become a hero of faith today by obeying the gospel of Christ. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.